You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Joan Lamagnon Sanford. Joan is the Executive Director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, the local faith connection to a national community of religious organizations and faithful individuals dedicated to elevating religious voices wherever faith and policy in our reproductive lives intersect. And her work includes providing abortion funding through practical support, community advocacy to protect abortion access, and communications work within the scope of a reproductive health rights and justice framework. Joan, welcome to our show. Thank you, Rabbi. I'm so glad to be here. It's wonderful having you here during such interesting times. And this is, I think, such an important debate right now. I I guess my first question, during the debates in the 2021 legislative session earlier this year on the bills to repeal New Mexico's 1969 criminal abortion ban, those in opposition to the bill said that repealing the 1969 law would violate their religious freedom. So... As a faith-based organization, how and why does NMRCRC, the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, how and why do they support access for abortion? Well, uh, you know, the the 1969 abortion ban, um, one of the, the, the most harmful parts of that ban was that it allowed a panel of doctors – or even an individual employed by a hospital or healthcare provider, and that could be a receptionist, a lab tech, um, a custodian, um, to decide for a, a woman seeking her health care. It would allow that person to decide whether or not she gets that health care in spite of her faith and her values mm. and her conscience. And so for us, that's what we center. We center her faith. And, you know, in 1969, most doctors were men. Mm-hmm. Most clergy were men. Mm. Most legislators were men. And so it's really a reflection of that patriarchy, that patriarchal worldview of, well, we need an adult in the room to decide that because – a woman, you know, does not have the authority, you know, to decide that. And for us, the centering her faith and values was most important. And we know that that when people make a decision about abortion, they do so from a place of values. Mm. And so that's that was um, that was 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 our focus um, for that for that uh, repeal. And we're. You know, we're so relieved that that along with our partners, that this this time 
the legislature, the Senate especially, stood by us and voted to repeal that ban. It's horrifying to me to hear that, in theory, a receptionist, um, you know, anyone, and that's not to put down receptionists, but they're not those who, are, who should be making necessarily decisions on behalf of other people's mental and physical health. It's kind of horrifying to me to, to hear that that's the level of law, law that has existed for so long in New Mexico when it comes to abortion access. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've worked really hard, and, and I'm really proud that New Mexico is a place of, of safety and sanctuary for abortion care, especially when we see what's, you know, what's pending you know, in other in other states, um, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself um, is a shared value across all faith traditions, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's why we um, advocate, but also we do direct service. We make sure that people coming to New Mexico, coming to Albuquerque, have a soft place to sleep. nourishing food, friendly rides to their appointments, um, uh, access to their prescriptions, because that's what people of faith do. That's what faith communities do. We take care of each other. And we we trust the the decision that has been made, and our job is then to make sure that that it can happen. And I guess it's interesting when you talk about that patriarchal viewpoint and people making decisions, particularly on behalf of women, you're coming from a very different faith perspective to the one that is normally expressed in the media, at least, regarding faith and abortion, which is, you know, we must preserve life and so on. You're coming from a perspective of of respecting the woman's choice and rights and her own faith. Would that be correct to say? Well, um, when life begins is a mystery. Mm-hmm. And um, and different faiths have different interpretations about that, and so. But we know that women are alive; right. people who are pregnant are alive, and that um, God or whom, whomever the divine is, whatever the divine is here in the universe, trusts them mm. to make that decision, and. If God trusts them, how can we do any less? That's, that's a fascinating perspective because in some sense it isn't all of this about trust. Trust of the woman to make her own autonomous decisions. Trust for her to make informed decision. Trust for her to be an agent in her own life. Very often, I would say, a lot of the religious voices that are very loud in this issue are not about trust are actually saying, we don't trust your opinion. We know better when life begins and so on. Can you talk a little more about that trust? Because I think that's really important. Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's trusting uh, God and uh, whatever your, your um, understanding of that is, that um, if, if God trusts someone who's, who's pregnant to pray and discern, um, and um, we have to, you know, if we trust God and that mm. God cares for us and 
um, speaks to us, then, then we have to trust the person who's turning to God. And, right. and, any, and, and trust that this is a decision that they make um, for themselves, for the, the loved ones in their life that, that they hold responsibilities for. Um, it could be the family that they are caring for now. It could be the family that they will care for in the future. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's their decision. I, I find it fascinating when you when you mention about you know when does life begin and and we don't know and it's fascinating in different conversations when people say well life begins at conception and I say but that's and we had one person on the show a long time ago who said science supports us and they said this isn't a scientific thing this is a a moral thing this is a spiritual thing this is a philosophical thing when does life begin. You know, I see every once in a while driving to Albuquerque and back one of these massive signs that says, you know, life begins with a heartbeat. And I think, does it, though? Um, you know, the when, very often when we look at some of these um, pieces of legislation that are coming up, which I, I know we'll talk about, we're talking about, you know, when you first detect a heartbeat at six weeks old. And you think that's not a heart. It's, there's nothing heart-like about it. It's, a, it's an electronic signal. And that doesn't even indicate life. And for me, it's fascinating when I see this from the Jewish perspective um, in the Mishnah, which was written around 200 of the Common Era. It quite clearly says that if the baby is pursuing the mother, if the mother's health is um, threatened in any way, the baby is a pursuer and is not considered to be alive yet. And her life takes precedence. And so it's fascinating for me to come from a a perspective, a religious perspective that says, as you said, she's alive. She's definitely alive. There's no question about whether or not she is alive yet. And in Judaism, life begins at birth, um, not any time beforehand, because that's why we celebrate birthdays, because that's how long you've been alive. We don't celebrate from when someone was conceived. So it's fascinating to me to hear you talk about this because I I struggle with this. I struggle to – I hear the other perspectives that say life begins at conception and therefore she becomes almost like a vessel. She loses her autonomy and that's one of the things I really struggle with which is when did mothers stop being their own selves? You know, there are enough examples in the Bible of of women who pray while pregnant. You know, they, as you said, they talk to God, they pray to God, God talks to them. So, so how do they stop being a person in and of their own right who's alive, and how do they become a vessel? And I, do you do you hear that a lot in your work? Um, so much, so much that. Um there's still the the expectation that that women will sacrifice themselves um, for their partners, for their families, for society, and and that again, that's um, that's the, their decision. Mm. That's, that's um, uh, and you know uh, in in our work, um, you know, with our abortion funding callers, so many of them have families they already need to care for right and um and, and so that's that's again why we just we just don't know what what 
commitments and responsibilities and um, that they are holding. And, and so we have to trust them. Um, I think the voice that you're sharing, the religious voice you're sharing is a voice of love in this debate. And I feel like what I've heard a lot is that it's not a very loving voice in this debate. It's not a debate that sees women very often in, in the media again in, in terms of that public religious voice. And I wonder if maybe before we take a break, can you just sort of reiterate, what is that loving voice that the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, what is it you're, you're genuinely saying from a faith perspective? Well, um, you know, one of our messages during the legislative session was abortion is love. It's an act of love that um, that a woman, a decision that she makes because she loves herself and um, and loves her family, her future, and and. And when, when people come here from other states where they've encountered so much shame and stigma and and they come here and and there's a friendly face picking them up at the airport mm. and then the next day there's a another friendly face taking them to their appointment and and someone else uh, you know, our, our program manager dropping off uh, a care package with, you know, some frozen dinners and snacks. They can warm up in the hotel room, but sometimes there's some homemade cookies in there. Mm -hmm. And and by the, the time that, that they're finished here with all of, all of their um, appointments, they go back home and they've been surrounded by this loving community that through words, but more importantly, through actions, have said, we love you and we support you. And and that's, that's to me, what faith is about. It's, it's a wonderful message. Thank you. We're going to take a little break. Um, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Joan Lamanyan Sanford, the executive director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, the wonderful Joan Lemanyan Sanford, Executive Director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And we were talking before the break. You shared this extraordinary, really important phrase, I think, that we don't hear normally. That, As you said, abortion is love. And I, I, I found that really fascinating. I wanted to hold on to that as we, as we go into the next section, which is more about the um, legislature itself. For example, in the spring of this year, the Texas legislature passed a bill that will ban all abortions after six weeks before most people even know that they're pregnant. So as a practical support abortion fund, what is the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice doing to prepare for when that ban takes effect on September the 1st? Um, 
we're my mother has a saying of plan for the worst and hope for the best mm-hmm. um, and and that's what we're doing we uh, we just don't know we anticipate that there will be a flood of callers coming from Texas um, uh, several of our uh, sibling abortion funds have joined in a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Afia Center, the Frontera Fund, Fund Texas Choice, Jane's Due Process, the Lilith Fund, North Texas Equal Access Fund, and several clergy, um, Reverend Erica Forbes and Reverend Daniel Cantor, are suing Texas. Um, but the lawyers are saying we may not get a, a decision or an injunction to to even put this on hold four to six weeks after uh, it goes into effect. And what's so frightening is is this this is unlike any other abortion ban we've seen. Um, it's it's going to turn Texas into a place where neighbors will sue neighbors, families will sue families, and kin will sue kin. Um, abortion providers, clinics, clinic staff, clergy, abortion funds, their volunteers – uh, friends, aunties, lovers can all be sued, but not by the state. So they can be sued by for helping? For aiding and abetting by anyone, whether they are um, known to the person getting the abortion or not. They can be sued for a $10,000 bounty just for aiding and abetting um, and and whether or not they win, there's there will still be enormous legal costs mm-hmm. and social and, costs. And oh yeah, yeah. This turns Texas in into a, a vigilante state. Wow. And and so we're you know we're just we're trying to pre- prepare ourselves. Um, we have a, a special um, site where people can go and make a donation. Um, and. Um, we are, we have brought back our, our volunteers that, um, had to take a, a, a pause during COVID and, and now we've said, if you are vaccinated and you are ready, um, we, so we'll still be having our driving volunteers, um, our legal observer volunteers who, who monitor the, the protesters at the clinics mm. to make sure that, that there's no escalation in in harassment. Um, we're still uh, relying on on donors to help us pay for hotel rooms. Uh, we're not ready to place people in in ho- homes yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're we're reaching out to um, to local churches who are near ab- the abortion clinics in Albuquerque to see if we can use their parking lots for overflow parking. Wow. That's what we're expecting. I'm so horrified by this, as hopefully a lot of people listening to our show are. Not just the idea that people can sue other people, whether or not they know them for aiding and abetting, which is, is so horrifying because it sounds it's like a crime. It's like and, and it isn't murder. This is not murder. Um, what's challenging me here is hearing your voice of love 
saying, I want to help love the person who the woman who has to go through this decision, which sometimes can be an extremely painful decision and, and in, is in need of support. And then when you're talking about the, the concern of escalation of harassment, this harassment, this, um, the, this legislation seems to be so devoid of any kind of love to me. And, and I wonder, I, I, I'm just feeding that back because I, I don't know what to do with that almost. And I wonder if you can share from your perspective of somebody who's been working in this field who, who is clearly there to help support women. What does it mean for you when you see this legislation, when you see this harassment, when you see this anger, this vitriol? What, what does it mean for you on a human level almost? Um, you know, the, we're, we're part of the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, and at the network, we say everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. Mm. And, um, and we need to remember that. And if, if you think you don't know someone who's had an abortion, because one in three women will have an abortion during their childbearing years, you need to ask yourself why. Right. Did they hide it from you? And and so um, I think that um, we, you know, we need to make safe spaces to talk about this mm. so that we're not othering, that we're not vilifying and, and demonizing people who have abortions. People who have abortions are, are everyone in our lives. And... Um, and I think, to me, it's it's easy to to vilify, to shame, um, to to have that those um, outcasts make outcasts of people who have had abortions if we don't know them, if they're mm. those other shameful people. But um, it, abortion is as common is more common in in people's lives than. Than we realize. One in three women of childbearing age is an extraordinary statistic. And I, I really appreciate the way you share that if you don't know someone, or if you don't, how did you put it? If, if, if you don't know someone, why? What, what have they not told you? Who is it? And why have they been ash felt ashamed or unable to talk to you about that? And, and what does that mean for love? I, I think that's, that's very important, very powerful. I, I have to ask the Supreme Court. Um, they're going to rule on this Mississippi case. Do you think they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade? I don't know. And, and that's the first – this is the first time I've, I've really said I don't know. Mm. Um, I've always thought that, that Roe has been a, a really effective tool for the right, um, the, a tool with, that they can use to – to um, rally their base, mm -hmm. um, that they needed it to to keep on demonizing um, people who get abortions, people who help people get abortions. But I think that um, with the with the um, nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the, the Supreme Court, that their base is pushing them to say why not now mm -hmm. and 
Um, and, and so for the first time since I've been doing this work, I'm saying I don't know. Mm. Um, what I do know is if, if Roe is overturned or even, um, you know, um, it's already dying death of a, a thousand cuts. The, the callers that we see, there is no Roe v. Wade for them already, except for the fact that they can, can come to New Mexico. Um, but what we're, what we're going to see after September 1st is going to be nothing compared to what we will see if, if Roe is overturned. Um, New Mexico will absorb some of the patients in Texas, but so will Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Nebraska and, and even Louisiana, states that are, are somewhat hostile to abortion, but it's still legal there. Right. But so many states have trigger laws where abortion is legal until Roe is overturned that um, the only option for so many people will be to come to New Mexico, California, um, Colorado, mm-hmm. um, New England. Um, and, and so I just, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I do want to share a little bit about some of the, the people that we see. Um, and the, the names, of course, I'm giving you in the uh, – these are, are um, compilations. Sure. So we, uh, we had Valerie who couldn't get an abortion in Texas even though she has ovarian cancer. And she had to travel by bus, which is miserable, hmm. 26 hours because the tires on her brother's car weren't sound enough to drive to Albuquerque. Um, uh, then there's Elise, who lives in a large Texas city. She's she was pregnant because of contraception sabotage, oh. and so um, and sexual assault from her ex husband. So we had to be very careful about her safety because she was afraid her ex husband would follow her. Um, and then um, there's Debbie, whose father's a leader in the pro life movement, and. Her abstinence-only sex ed did nothing to prepare her for her pregnancy that resulted from a sexual assault. Um, And she has no support from her family. So these are just an example of some of the people that have had already to come to New Mexico and will will just be seeing so many more. It's the human face that you put on it that I think is so important. As you said earlier, it's not othering this is real women with real lives making real choices about their lives that only they know best about and and the as you said the patriarchal assumption the othering assumption is is uh, you're breaking that down and i i really thank you for coming to our show and for for sharing this and for sharing your work and for letting people know that there are religious voices who support and love the woman for her choice, as as she is as well. Thank you. Um, the um, if I can just give you the website for those donations, it's bitly. So that's b i t dot l y slash s b the number eight donate. Thank you. Joan Lemanyan Sanford, Executive Director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. 
thank you so much for being here. I really hope you'll be able to return to our show in the future. I'd love to. Thank you. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.